Good evening. Ben said that, uh, well, he, he said that I was very brave for getting married and starting preaching at the same time, and that's, that's one way to look at it. <laughs> let's just say I'm brave. Yeah, let's just go with that. Um, very, very brave. Uh, no, ben, ben is awesome. Um, ben has been instrumental in me uh, being where I am today. Uh, I enjoy getting to preach uh, for the congregation in Livingston, and I, I, I honestly believe without Ben's guidance, I, I wouldn't be there. And for that matter, I wouldn't be here. So, depending on how this lesson goes, you can either thank him or blame him uh, for, for getting me where I am. Um, no, I, I, I love Ben to death, and I, I know that many of you do too. Um, tonight, I, I want to start off doing something a little odd. Uh, it worked this morning pretty well. Uh, I preached this same lesson at Livingston this morning. I see there's lots of guys right here, young, young guys right here. Which one of you would say you're the strongest? It's about what I figured. At least, at least three of the, of the six hands. Whichever one of you thinks you're the strongest, I want you to try something. I need your help. I want you to hold your arms, try to make some room for yourself. Hold your arms out and hold them like this. If, yeah, you can all three try. Yeah, go right ahead. Don't let your arms down until I tell you, okay? All right. We're going to start off reading Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 32. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. I want you to do something with me. Imagine that you are a first century Jew, first century Jew, and you have just come into contact with this group of people that they call the way. Some of them, some people call them Christians. And these Christians, they have some news that they want to share with you. They, they call it the good news. They want to share that with you. And this good news consists of this. The Messiah has come. The Messiah has come. These guys are struggling up here. The Messiah has come, and he allowed himself to be crucified. But then three days later, he came back to life. And then he ascended into heaven to take his throne at the right hand of God and then, we know that he is going to return and rescue his people from sin and corruption and death. This good news was very appealing to you. You're, you're a Jew, by the way. You, you've been looking for the Messiah to come, so this is exciting for you. But you have no reason to really believe it. Well, except for all of these people claiming to be witnesses of all of these things that have happened, and then they're also working miracles, which seems to be a pretty good indicator that it might be true. And so you believe it. You believe what they've told you about this good news, and you become a Christian. You become a Christian. You give your allegiance to King Jesus. You have become enlightened. 
But Christianity, Christianity has been pretty difficult. It's not all glamorous because almost immediately after becoming a Christian, you began experiencing great sufferings, public shaming, public humiliation, and insults and oppression. And some of your new siblings are being thrown into prison and some of your property is being confiscated by authorities. All of these horrible, terrible things are happening to you. Christianity has proven to be a pretty hard way of life. But here's the good news. You were already expecting that. You see, when they told you about the good news, they told you also about maybe a little bit of the bad news that's going to come along with it, that things aren't going to be easy. All of these things are going to happen to you, but here's here's the point. It's worth it. All of these terrible things will happen to you because you're a Christian, but it's worth it. And you believed that. And so you endured. So you stuck it out. You stayed faithful. And you kept your eyes on Jesus. You kept focused on the blessings that were to come. Here's the thing about enduring suffering and humiliation and insults and oppression. Doing it for a short time is not too bad. Doing it for a long time is nearly impossible. Guys, how are your arms feeling? They're saying great, but they're cheating horribly. um, You can set your arms down now. You can can rest. Here's the thing. They're going to tell you that was a breeze. Wasn't a problem. Could do that all day. We all know that that's not true. Here's the thing. When they first raised up their arms, I watched them. They all had them straight. They had them strong, and they were, that was easy. But over time, it got difficult. Over time, it became so difficult that their arms started to droop. This morning, the little boy that I had raised his arms, by the time I got to this point, his dad was helping him hold his arms up. <clears throat> but that's what we see with these Hebrew Christians. You see, Christianity, it wasn't fun. It was difficult, but they could do it from the beginning. They were still going strong, but over time, the weight gets to be too much. The suffering, the oppression, all of these things start to, to break them down to the point where they, well, all they want to do is, is give up, is to release the weight. And so that's what we see with these Hebrew Christians. They're considering going back to Judaism. They're considering going back to the Old Covenant. Another way of saying that is they're considering giving up on Jesus. And the Hebrew author is encouraging them to stick it out, to stay faithful to Jesus, to not forsake the new covenant, to endure. And what is his encouragement? Essentially, it goes like this. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus, is, his covenant is better than the old covenant. And especially in the book of Hebrews, Jesus' priesthood is better than the old priesthood. I've noticed something here recently that I, I think is concerning. All of my life of being in and around the church, I've, I've noticed that the focus as it pertains to Jesus and as it pertains to salvation typically is on what Jesus did in the past and what he is going to do in the future. We typically focus on what Jesus did and what he's going to do. But rarely do we ever say much of anything about what he's doing now. 
I think that we've missed or we've forgotten a, a crucial, essential part of the gospel of Jesus. A part that is just as necessary for our salvation as his death, burial, and resurrection. A part that is just as necessary to our salvation as his return. And what he's going to do when he returns. The judgment and giving of life. Just as essential, just as crucial as those. What he did and what he will do is what he's doing right now. The ascension of Jesus to heaven. And all that that entails. I think that at least from my experience, we have in large part forgotten about that. We need to remember, and we do remember, Jesus' life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, because those things are essential to the gospel. And we, we remember that Jesus is going to return, that judgment's going to come for some, and, and, and life is going to be given to others. We, we remember that because it's, it's crucial to the gospel. But just as crucial, just as essential, just as necessary to the gospel is what Jesus is doing now in the present. Jesus did something to initiate our salvation. Jesus is going to do something to finalize our salvation. But is he doing anything right now to maintain our salvation? The book of Hebrews will answer that emphatically. Yes. Yes. And so, that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. We're going to look a little bit at the book of Hebrews. And we're going to see something that's very important. Something that, to the Hebrew Christians, was critical for their hope. Hope of, of life in the age to come. Hope of entering into the eternal promised land of rest. Hope of living forever in the holy presence of God. The book of Hebrews presents us with this idea that the ascension of Jesus is what gives us hope. It's a crucial part of the gospel that gives us hope. And so, in the book of Hebrews, that's, is, that's what we see. One of our primary sources of hope is the ascension of Jesus. Look at, at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. It says this, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. We have an anchor of the soul. An anchor, really, the purpose of an anchor is to keep the ship steady, to keep it firm, to keep it immovable. And with a good anchor, that's that's what you'll find. Come what may, the ship will stay steady and stay where it, where it needs to be. It'll stay secured. And these Hebrew Christians are, are starting to drift away from Jesus. They're starting to drift away. And so what they need is an anchor. What they need is hope. The focus of the book of Hebrews is to remind them of the source of that hope. The ascension of Jesus is one of the primary points of the book of Hebrews and is one of the primary points that, that is our source of hope. But more specifically than just the ascension, it's, it's one of the primary purposes 
of Jesus ascending to heaven. And that is to be our high priest. The early Christians found hope in the high priesthood of Jesus. But, but for us to find hope in Jesus' high priesthood, we have to appreciate the idea of a high priest. And so I want to talk for just a second about that. Under the Old Covenant, a descendant of Aaron was chosen by God to be high priest. And the primary purpose of a high priest is to serve as, as a representative, as a mediator between people and God. Because here's the thing, ever since the fall, humanity has been separated from God's presence. And a mediator is needed to help bridge the gap, to help bring reconciliation. A high priest is needed. And so, what we see with the high priest in the Old Testament is, is one of the most special duties of the high priest happens on this day called the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. And, and on this one day of each year, he would enter into the most holy place of the tabernacle. It's this back room that is separated by this curtain, this veil. And this room is, is an earthly representation of the heavenly throne room of God. Because not just anybody can enter into the most holy place. It's where God is. And you enter into God's presence, and what happens? You die. Because sin-stained people like us do not survive in the presence of a holy God. And so we need a high priest, a mediator, and a, a representative who can go behind the curtain for us, a representative that can go behind the veil into the most holy place on the Day of Atonement to help, to bring reconciliation. But here's the thing about the high priest. He couldn't just waltz on in there. He had to follow very strict regulations. Because even he would die immediately upon, upon entering the most holy place if he didn't follow by these, these restrictions and these regulations. I've heard it put this way, and I think it's, I think it's pretty good. God is, is uh, a good comparison to, to God is the sun, the sun that's shining outside. Because the sun is a good thing, isn't it? Isn't the sun a good thing? The sun gives warmth. It gives light. It gives life to the world. But here's the thing. The sun is also dangerous. And without the proper covering, the sun can hurt you. And over extended periods of time, the sun can even kill you. God, he is good, isn't he? He's good. He's the giver of life and, and the, the giver of every good and perfect gift. But God is also dangerous. He's dangerous. That doesn't mean he's bad. He's good. Just because the sun is dangerous doesn't mean it's bad. It's good. But without the proper covering, just as with the sun, you won't survive in the presence of God. And so this is, this is why a high priest is so incredibly important. Each year, he would enter into the most holy place with the sacrificial blood of an animal. And there he would make atonement. He would cover 
the sins of the people. And without this atoning, mediatory service, the people would have no hope. And the same is true for Christians today. We still need a high priest. We still need a mediator to enter into the presence of God for us and to make atonement for our sin. To intercede on our behalf. And the author of Hebrews goes into great detail in explaining to us that that is exactly what we have in Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched, not man. You see, we have a minister. We have a minister for us in the true tabernacle. Not a, not a man-made tent, but heaven itself. At the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Jesus, our heavenly high priest, is ministering. He is serving on our behalf. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is ministering on our behalf. Look at chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Not only did our high priest enter into the greater and more perfect tabernacle, but he entered with a greater and more perfect sacrifice. He didn't enter with the sacrificial blood of an animal, but with his own sacrificial blood. And I think that's one of the most amazing things about, about Jesus being our high priest, is that he is both priest and offering. He plays both parts. He is the sacrifice and the sacrificer. That is our God. The old high priest had to enter into the most holy place every single year on the Day of Atonement because there was this constant reminder of sin every single year. Sin needed to be atoned for every year. We need a new sacrifice. We need the mediator to go back in. We need every single year for all of these things to take place because sin is ever-present. But we see with, with our high priest, the atonement that he offered was once for all. Just once. Just entering in once. Just the sacrifice of himself once. And then his perpetual ministry in heaven ensures our redemption forever. No more having to think about our sin year by year by year or day by day by day. We can have assurance that sin is forever dealt with. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 says, therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Those who draw near to God by faith in Jesus 
have complete salvation. Have complete salvation through his high priesthood. How? How is there complete salvation? Because he always lives to make intercession. Now the context here in chapter 7 is talking about how Jesus is never going to die. The other priests, the old priests, they would die. But Jesus never will. He always lives. What does he always live for? He always lives to make intercession for us. I love the way this kind of works out in in English. I love the way the translation sounds to us because I think it's very true. He lives for this. He lives to intercede for us. He's never going to stop. And because of this perpetual intercession, we can have total confidence in our salvation. Total confidence. And it isn't just the book of Hebrews that talks about this. I'll give you two other examples. 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2 says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. One more. Romans 8, 33-34. It says, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God who also intercedes for us. Even though we will continue to struggle with sin over and over and over, day by day by day, year by year by year, we are going to continually struggle with sin. Here is the fact. There is no condemnation in Christ. In Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Why? Because of what he's doing right now. Because of what he's doing right now for us. He is interceding as our advocate right now. And because of that, there is no more condemnation. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because we have Jesus as our heavenly high priest, we can hold firmly to our allegiance to him. We can hold firmly to our allegiance to King Jesus. You see, the Hebrew Christians, they were flirting with the idea of of forsaking their allegiance. They were flirting with this idea of leaving Jesus. And they needed to be reminded that the high priesthood of Jesus is what provides our anchor of hope. 
this hope says that I may not be able to reconcile myself, but my high priest can. This hope is not based on me, but it's on him. That my mediator in heaven is providing reconciliation, redemption, salvation, life for me. He's also a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. A high priest who knows how we feel. A high priest who is tempted like we are. Because we have such a high priest, we are able to approach the presence of God, not with fear, as if we're going before the judgment seat, getting ready to be condemned and struck down. But we can approach the presence of God with confidence, with boldness. Not expecting death, but expecting grace and mercy. Because of what Jesus did, is doing, and will do. I can approach God with boldness, expecting grace and mercy. Not because of me. I'm so imperfect. But He is perfect. and He is in heaven at this very moment, interceding for me. Advocating for me. And we can approach the mercy seat, not the judgment seat. The mercy seat for us Christians. And we can expect grace and mercy whenever we need it. This is the hope that we have in our high priest. This is the hope that he provides. Now, we've only begun to scratch the surface of of Hebrews. We we don't have any more time to, to go any further, but... I would recommend this. When I was studying for this lesson, I, I got me a little audio Bible on my phone and I, I, listened, I listened to the book of Hebrews. It took about 30 minutes. It doesn't take long. I challenge you to do that this week. If you, if you don't like listening, read it. That's great too. Read it. Read the book of Hebrews. Sit down in one sitting, read it. All of these themes, all of these concepts, they'll, they'll come together in, in the most beautiful way. But I do want to say this before we end. Hope keeps us anchored to Jesus. Hope. It keeps us anchored to Him. Hardships and trials and temptations and sin, they, they're going to come and they're going to, to try to break our hope. They're going to try to break that anchor that we have. And sometimes that'll happen and we start to drift away. And unfortunately, I think there are a lot of Christians out there that have no hope. And if they have a little bit, that's all they have is a little bit. There are so many Christians who are living in this world without hope. And what I mean by hope is not this wishy-washy, I want this to happen in the future. Hope in the Bible is a confident expectation of the promises of God coming to fulfillment. There are so many Christians who don't have hope. But every single day they're living in fear. Every single day they think about, if Jesus were to come today, I'm just scared to death. Judgment day should not be scary for Christians. It's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be the great day. The day of the Lord means two things, depending on who you are that's listening. The day of the Lord in the Old and New Testament, that's scary for those living against God. It's a great day of deliverance, of salvation, of rescue for God's people. Christians, we should not be living in fear. There's no reason for it. 
There's no reason we should not have confidence in our salvation. And there's no reason we shouldn't have hope. I think that we most begin to lose hope when we focus too much on ourselves and not enough on Jesus. Our hope is not based on us. It's not based on us. It's based on Him. If my hope is based on me, I'm in bad shape. It's based upon the King of heaven and earth, our great high priest in heaven, who died and resurrected so that we can receive atonement for our sins. That high priest who is currently interceding for our salvation each and every day, that same high priest and king who's going to return and rescue us. That is where our hope lies. Our practice of Christianity is most influenced by our beliefs. Our practice of Christianity is most influenced by our beliefs. What you believe is how you're going to live. If you don't believe that Jesus is currently in heaven, interceding, advocating for you, you're going to live as if you don't believe that. You're going to live in fear. And that means you're living without hope. And you know what happens when you don't have hope? You don't have your anchor. When you don't have your anchor, you start to drift away. Without hope, you're not going to stick with Jesus. Our hope relies on the eternal high priest who lives to intercede for us. And when that is where our hope lies, we will stay anchored in our allegiance to Jesus. We will serve and obey him faithfully with love and with gratitude. And so I'll ask you this as we close. Do you believe that Jesus is your advocate? Do you believe he is your intercessor? Do you believe he is your high priest in heaven, ministering on your behalf at this very moment? If you believe that, you will go on serving Jesus with love, with gratitude, and with hope. And so, if you are not a Christian tonight, you've not given Jesus your total allegiance. What I mean by that is giving yourself entirely to Him. If you've not done that, today is the day to do it. Have you submitted to Him? Have you been baptized into Christ? giving yourself entirely to Him. If you haven't done that, tonight's a wonderful night to do it. I suppose this is water back here. I'm not tall enough to see. I suppose it's warm, but if it's not, that's okay too. It's pretty hot outside. Go stand out there, then you'll want to get in cold water. If you want to be baptized into Christ tonight, I'm sure someone would love to help you down into that water and help you do it. And we're going to sit here and we're going we're gonna to celebrate with you. But if... You are a Christian, I suppose most people in here are, and you've, you've not been faithful. Maybe, maybe tonight's lesson has opened your eyes to, you know, I've not, I've not thought much about this. I've not thought much about what Jesus is doing now. And I realize it's important. And it changes me. It changes the way I want to live. We'd love to pray with you and encourage you. If you have any needs at all, 
you can make those known by coming forward as we stand and sing.